0: Production brings you Under the Water Tower, presented by Team Couch of Birch Realty Group. And now, here are your hosts, Matt Crane and Derek Biglane. Morning, Matt. Morning, Derek. It's a crisp, very cold morning this morning, about 28
1: or so degrees. Um, the heat's still working, so that's good. Yeah. Uh, how was your weekend? It's good, man. Just had a really good weekend. Uh, went down to Oxford. Uh, had a nice time for the last home game for the Ole Miss Rebels this year. 7-0 and undefeated home season, which is the first time in 30 years that that happened. So went down, enjoyed the beautiful weather uh, kind of all day on Saturday. My daughter took a friend. Uh, Wilson took a friend and just had a really, really nice time and, and you know, A lot of fun, and then church on Sunday, and then went and saw some family, kind of kicked off a little Thanksgiving Mm. celebration, Uh, saw some family in New Albany um, on Sunday, and then uh, back to work, trying to cram a a good bit of work into uh, one and a half days. Going to be leaving out this morning after this show, we're going to be leaving out this morning, heading to Louisiana for uh, Thanksgiving with my family through Saturday.
0: And Matt, because of that, we're going to obviously have a mayor interview that we've already pre-taped, so we're going to have basically... We say it's a short show for us. It's a short show for this morning. We're just going to be doing a couple of ad reads. We're going to be doing a fact of the week, and then you'll hear the mayor after all that. So it'll be short for us, but a good podcast for you to listen to on your way, on your way to Thanksgiving trip. And uh, Matt and I was very similar. Obviously, went to the game, saw you there. A Sunday church, Sunday school, did not go visit family. Basically started the uh, getting the Christmas boxes down. Oh, not, man. not not putting them out yet, just uh, getting them down and starting to rearrange them where they're going to go. So when we come back uh, from Natchez. We'll be able to start putting those up. So it's just, it's it's that time of year. Um, But anyway, so we got that going. And we got a, of course, this week, besides
1: Thanksgiving, huge Egg Bowl coming up Thursday night. Uh, Ole Miss could be its first 10 win season in school history, in the regular season, 10 win regular season in school history. So, I mean, you know, the Egg Bowl is always such a. Tough game, and the teams really go at it, and Lord knows how many times they'll show the fight from, like, 1998 or whatever. A
0: couple fights, yeah, 98, and then when uh, Corral was a freshman.
1: Right. Had a little little scrum in the end zone. They'll show that, of course, you know. um, But anyway, just – Again, Egg Bowl is always tough. Uh, So many of our listeners will definitely be watching that game Thursday night. Um, But just, you know, cold fronts coming through. Just going to be a beautiful week until then. Um, But, again, happy Thanksgiving to all of our UTW podcast listeners. We kind of thought we'd get out of the way a little bit and just let Chip Johnson have it. I mean, you know, go ahead and have our – about an hour-long interview with him. You interviewed him last – middle of last week. So a lot of good information coming. If you tuned into the show, we really appreciate you doing that. A lot of good information coming from the mayor about the new planning department director, the new parks director that was recently hired. So some good stuff coming up. But before we get there, we definitely want to give some shout outs to some of our advertisers, especially our 2021 presenting sponsor. I'm speaking of Team Couch, a Birch Realty Group. Team Couch has over 65 years of combined real estate experience. They are the number one team for well over a decade when it comes to residential real estate in DeSoto County. They have over 25,000 closings since 2009. They are ranked nationally as a top performing real estate team. There is absolutely no better team of realtors than Team Couch Birch Realty Group. They're currently offering a free no obligation market analysis. All they need is your address. Give them your address. They can tell you all about your neighborhood. They can tell you about your zip code. They can tell you about homes in your area, how long they're staying on, on the market, how fast they're closing. Brian and Terry and their team have all the analytics that you would want from your realtor. Give them a call at 662-449-1700. That's 662-449-1700. Or call Brian's cell phone, 901 901- 461 7653 That's 461-SOLD, S-O-L-D. If you're in the market to buy or sell a home in the Mid-South, you want to reach out to our 2021 presenting sponsor, Brian and Terry. They are the best realtors in the area. Give them a call today. Again, 662-449-1700 or find more information about them at teamcouch.com. That's teamcouch.com. Well, Derek, I looked at two websites over the weekend, kind of random websites that I like to look at, and both of them referred. To Malcolm at How to Barbecue Right Shop in their article, just wow. random national publications, national websites mentioned and linked on YouTube. One of Malcolm's YouTube things for I think smoked turkey, a smoked turkey that he has. Is that I'm week te- before that, I mean, that's I'm telling it. you. I mean, you you and I, you know, we we like to think we're uh, podcast stars, but we have no idea that our studio sponsor Malcolm Reed over at How to Barbecue Right Shop, um, he's a celebrity. Oh, he's a huge deal. Definitely a huge deal. (laughs) Definitely a big deal. And we're just so glad he throws us a bone. Absolutely throws us a bone as our 2021 studio sponsor, the How to Barbecue Right Shop, located right here in Hernando at 496 Whitfield Drive. That's 496 Whitfield Drive. This store has everything a person needs for barbecue, crawfish, and all of the kinds of outdoor cooking, whether it's rubs, sauces, thermometers, cast iron, cutting boards, knives, or some of the coolest high-end smokers on the market, you definitely want to come See him at Malcolm's shop. If you've ever seen his how to barbecue right cooking videos, you need to stop by his shop today. Find more information on Facebook at H2Q Malcolm's shop. Give him a call at 912 9947. That's 912 9947. Look at his website, howtobbqright.com. I want to keep reminding everyone that Saturday, December 4th, that's going to be not this coming Saturday, but next Saturday from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m., Santa Claus will be at the How to Barbecue Right Shop. It will be a free event. You will take home a digital picture of the kids with Santa. They'll have hot cocoa, cookies, and so much more. It'll be a perfect Saturday to stop by the How to Barbecue Right Shop, visit with Malcolm, visit with Santa Claus. That's the place to be next Saturday, December 4th. Again, give them a call at 662-912-9947 or visit them right here under the water tower at 496 woodfield Drive. Well I know a number of people have tuned in for the quarterly interview with Chip Johnson. Again, Derek sat down last week, spoke with Chip for about an hour or so. A lot of good information coming on the show here in just a few minutes. But before we do that, we want to give a shout out to the DeSoto County Museum, our DeSoto County Fact of the Week, given to us every week by the DeSoto County Museum. Rob Long and his team are excited and happy to serve for the holidays right across in the Bank Course South, right there on Commerce Street. They're open from nine to five, Tuesday through Saturday. Right now, let's talk about about the DeSoto County Fact of the Week, Derek. What you got?
0: Matt, our DeSoto County Fact of the Week this week uh, is something that's just south of town. Uh, it's dealing with something just south of town. And Matt, this is going to be a two-parter. We're going to do the first part this week. And kind of let you know how it ends uh, on our show next week. So, a two part. Little teaser. Little teaser. We'll split this up. So, we're going to split this up between two Tuesdays. Uh, It's basically a a story, it's a historical event that happened. And so, we want to make sure everybody's educated on it. Don't want to spend too much time on it because of the length of the mayor's interview, but also, uh, you know, just as uh, something we want everybody to understand and to remember. So, what we're talking about is the Battle of the Musakuna Plantation. Uh, Musakuna Plantation, just south of town, about three miles south of town. The Musakuna Plantation was established on land. Bought from the children of Chief Musacuni, one of the largest landholders of the Chickasaws, the Robertson family built a home on the plantation in 1849, which still stands today, again, as I said, about three miles south of Hernando. During the Civil War, Mrs. Robertson hid cotton in every available space, including under beds. She also piled up bales in her front yard. When the Union troops reached her home, they burned the bales in the yard, thinking this to be her entire crop. Once they had moved on, Mrs. Robinson collected all the cotton she had hidden and sold it, making enough money to keep the farm through the war. So the battle that actually happened there, though, when you know, when they, after, before they burned the cotton and moved on, was on June 17, 1863. 500 Cavalry, drawn from the 2nd Illinois, the 1st Missouri, and the 5th Ohio Regiments, rode south out of Memphis, led by Major John Henry. Their orders were to surprise the Confederate partisan units that had been using Hernando as their base of operations. Henry occupied Hernando without opposition on the night of the 17th. The morning of the 18th, Henry's forces marched to the Coldwater River, routing the small Confederate force left to defend the ford of the river. Before proceeding on, Henry detached the 2nd Illinois and left them at the ford of the river with the orders to defend the river at all cost. Henry returned to the ford two hours later without locating a single Confederate. Henry's entire force encamped at the Adkins plantation for the night. Before retiring, a few members of the Confederate cavalry made a brief raid on one of Henry's outposts and then disappeared into the night. Henry dismissed the news, saying, It's only a squad of guerrillas. I apprehend no danger here. Brigadier General James Ronald Chalmers was in charge of the Confederate forces in DeSoto County. Being a local, he knew DeSoto County quite well and used his knowledge of his home county to his advantage when moving the troops. On the morning of June 18th, Chalmers moved his troops within 12 miles of Hernando. Here scouts informed Chalmers of Henry's movements. Choosing to wait until dark to move his men under the cover of darkness, Chalmers moved his troops as closely as he dared
1: to Henry's lines. And we're going to stop there today. Isn't it amazing that historical things like that happen literally right where we walk every day. Right here. I mean, they, right here every day. It's wonderful.
0: And you're going to hear the ro- the next week you're going to hear Memphis Road. You're going to hear Plank Road. which right. we've all And obviously right. Memphis Street is still here. Uh, so you're going to hear all that next week as another teaser. Uh, kind of find out what happens with that battle. skirmish uh, battle, whatever you want to call it. We're going to find out uh, next Tuesday.
1: Ooh, Derek, our first teaser. I appreciate that from Rob Long. Uh, we're going to separate that again in two weeks. So on Tuesday, next Tuesday, we'll have the uh, conclusion of that DeSoto County Fact of the Week. Get over and visit Rob Long and his team at the DeSoto County Museum Museum. They are ready to serve you, ready to show you around the wonderful asset here under the water tower that is the DeSoto County Museum, 9 to 5, every Tuesday through Saturday. Well, Derek, I think a pretty interesting fact, not a lot of cities have a mayor that is elected twice. Nope. Uh, you know you know what I'm saying, not, a, not like, like a Back-to-back. Back-to-back, right. back. exactly. But we do here in the city of Fernando. And Chip Johnson sat down with Derek last Wednesday visit visited about a number of different things. So we're going to go to his interview. This interview will be the meat of our show today. We hope everyone has a wonderful drive to wherever they're going, family, friends, wherever you're traveling. If you're listening to our show, we definitely want to wish you a happy Thanksgiving. And we thought we'd just turn it over to Chip Johnson and let him have the floor. So we'll go to his interview now. Well, good morning, Mayor. We want to welcome you into the UTW
0: podcast uh, this Wednesday morning. This is the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. I hope you've had a good week so far.
2: It's been a great week. Uh, It's good to be here again
0: good I'm glad to have you and again to remind our listeners uh, this is the uh, we're trying to do this quarterly with the mayor have him sit down uh, take listeners questions and you know trying to you know any kind of questions that you have uh, we just encourage you to send them in we've had some wonderful questions being sent in and so we'll kind of kind of go uh, you know go through those and hopefully update the citizens on some of the issues or concerns that they may have or just just in general questions um, want to say that uh, you know to start this conversation first of all we're coming off a wonderful weekend for the city uh, with the Dickens of a Christmas, the, the Christmas Open House. And, you know, we just, Matt and I want to congratulate you on what was just an, you know, an outstanding crowd. Of course, you've got, you know, it always helps to ha, you know, have Gia order in the Chamber of Commerce weather uh, that we had. But uh, just kind of speak to, you know, what you saw over the past weekend and all the wonderful things that were on the square.
2: Well, the Dickens of a Christmas was just over the top this year. And I wish I could take credit for it, but Gia manages every piece of that. Uh, she is an asset to the city, and this event's an asset to the city. Uh, I think you know, part of the reason for starting it was to help the retailers on the square. Mm-hmm. But more than that, it's a way for the citizens of Hernando to come out and see each other and enjoy the town square and kind of just kick off the holiday season. Uh, the addition of the skating rink was great. I saw so many kids out there trying to ice skate and trying to learn it. And of course, you know, we we had all these great sponsors and I don't know all of them. I do know that Mach 1 Films was the main sponsor for that ice rink. We need to make sure we give him a shout out for that. And Principal Toyota was the main sponsor for the entire Dickens of a Christmas. But there are lots of other sponsors and uh, this is done with sponsors money. And it really does help our retailers around the square. I talked to... uh, Aaron at AC's, and he said this is like having a second affair for our business. Wow! And I went in Soco, and you know if y'all know Soco has opened another location at Silo. Mm -hmm. Well, she said they were the Hernando store was beating the Silo store that day. So
0: (laughs) and they actually moved across the square. They used to. That's right. They used to be on the north side. Now they're on the south side. There's been a lot of shifting on the Mm -hmm. square. You
2: know, Soco has moved to the south side, and Social Saint has moved into Soco's Mm -hmm. place and uh, the dress shop has closed but the square cupboard has bought that spot and they're going to move and it looks like Windy City may expand into that spot. So we're still going to have no vacancies on the square, but it's right. just kind of shifting around.
0: As part of the crew of Hernando, we were able to work the skating rink uh, Friday night, and it was just wonderful to see the kids come out. And, you know, I started at 4, and they were there at 4. And I know when I left, I worked the 4 to 6 shift, and we had about 90 kids uh, that had come out, or I want to say kids, 90 skaters uh, that had come out um, before I left at 6. I don't know how many had come after that. Uh, but, I, you know, so well over 100, probably I would probably say around 200 kids came out that night. And then where Saturday was out there from, I believe nine to six. So I can't imagine how many children enjoyed that. And and other skaters, maybe adults, Uh, but just a wonderful thing for the first time that they brought in. I know that uh, a lot of that had to do with the sponsorship that you mentioned, Mach one, that the, I guess the Dickens is mostly a grant funded also. There's, I know there was some grants that Gia were able to That's get. That's right.
2: There is a grant that funds a big portion of it.
0: Um, so, again, just a wonderful thing. And I just want to say congratulations again to the city, uh, you know, uh, with you being mayor, but also to Gia for putting that on. And uh, just look forward to it every year and uh, just hopefully, you know, bigger and better next year. The interesting
2: thing about it was how many people, you know, as mayor, every time I see a person, I say, where are you from? Mm -hmm. And there were people from all over the state and from Memphis. People just hear about it and they see the advertisements. Uh, We talked to seven people who came from Hamilton, Mississippi, two and a half hours away. There were people here from Brandon and Jackson and people just want to come see our events in Hernando. And it just it feels good that other people see what we've got here.
0: I think that's great, and again, of course, that's you know us being able to you know provide city services with other people's money, which is also <laughs> which is also very nice. And I will say that uh, in the first two months of this fiscal year, our sales tax
2: revenues are up about five and a half percent over wow. last year, and we we budgeted them to be
0: flat because we just didn't know, right? But in the first two months, we're up about five and a half percent. Uh, that's wonderful news. And, again, that's the, the first I'm hearing that, so that's, that's awesome. Uh, so thank you for sharing that. And, again, I think that I know we're coming out of COVID, so maybe if you're 5.5% out of what, you know, you have to go back and look how that compares historically. Uh, but, obviously, if you're doing it flat and we have a flat budget and we're already 5.5%, that, you know, does good for maybe things that you can look to do maybe next summer. If that continues, you know, you maybe can add or do amendments to the budget to be able to provide the services. Well, and you
2: say, you know, we are talking about the COVID year. Uh, last year was our highest ever, so sales tax wow. revenues. So we're five and a half percent over our highest revenues ever. ever. So things are looking good. And, and, and the board made a good decision during our budget. They, you know, that we asked for a lot of new employees that we needed mm-hmm. in public safety and they said, well, let's hire half of them now and wait and see if our revenues are okay before we hire the second half. It's looking like our revenues are going to be okay, but we'll just have to wait till that six months is up and see. But I think that was a good move. That
0: was a, that was a very good move. Well, speaking of the board that kind of gets us into our questions, the first couple uh, were ones that Matt and I added. Kind of what we wanted to know is now that you're basically a full three months in, July, September, October, and we're halfway through November, but we're going to go off the first 90 days, first three months. What are residents in Hernando stopping to talk to you about just in general over your first three months back in office? Well, in general, it's still the same things as
2: before. (laughs) Uh, People are worried about water leaks. They're worried about getting their street paved. And they're worried about getting the animal shelter built. Mm -hmm. You know, those are the main things I hear every day. And uh, I I, I know the water leaks aren't fun, but we have had as high as 70 open work orders at one time in our water department Mm -hmm. with three employees. Mm -hmm. So uh, there was one day we knocked out 14 work orders in one day with that crew. And so I'm very proud of our guys, uh, but we need help. And we have openings. We have job openings in the water department. So if you know anybody looking for a job that could be trained to work on water and sewer, we absolutely need the help just to get caught up. Uh, But on the other piece of that, you know, I've asked a lot about streets. Everybody wants to know when the streets are going to get paved. I have a list that was put out in the board meeting before last Uh, The board adopted that list and said, these are the ones we're going to pave this year. Uh, So now that I'm talking to you, I'm thinking I need to get that list out to the citizens so they know if their street's going to get paved this year or not. Uh, Obviously, we can't pave all the streets that need to be paved. We had to uh, choose which ones were the worst Mm -hmm. and and move forward that way. And I've been talking to my public works director, Lee Germany, and we're going to try to knock out some of the smaller ones if we can get those done before they close the asphalt plants Mm -hmm. and then there will be a big chunk of them we do as a big bidding process in the spring in the spring yeah so and but we have uh made an internal commitment to get the entire list done within this budget year because sometimes you just get busy and you realize oh no it's august and we still hadn't got the last four streets paved and then they roll into the next year and and we have some of that happening now about four hundred thousand dollars worth of projects That were in last year's budget have flowed in, and those bills are going to be coming out of this year's budget. So it just makes things a little messy. So we're going to try to make sure we get this entire list done before September 30th and invoiced and paid for.
0: And if I remember right, there was about a million to million two that y'all had for the overlays and that sort of
2: thing. Yeah, I think it's about a million three, and about three hundred thousand of that was going to come out of that special fund of money that comes from the lottery. Uh, We discussed it at the meeting before last. You know, We we try to keep a rainy day fund Mm -hmm. in our general fund and and in the utility fund, and I think we were using that same mentality with that fund, but that fund doesn't need a rainy day fund. Those funds are only for infrastructure. Right. As they come in each year, we really need to be spending them all and getting them out there where the citizens can enjoy new pipes or new streets Mm -hmm. or or relayed streets. You can't spend it on new stuff. It has to be on repairs. So I I think we may be rethinking that and we may do a budget amendment and try to spend down all of that money because we get it, you know, it recurs every year. Right. And it can only be used for those things. And so we're supposed to spend it and we get audited on it. So we, we may be doing a couple of more later on in the spring and using that money up.
0: Right now, that and what he, uh, I guess, you know, what you're referring to is that the first eighty million dollars brought in by the state lottery goes uh, into the state coffers, and then the states divided up to the cities based on certain, uh, I guess, it's based on population, uh, kind That's of a pro right. rata based on population. And so, I think that the amount for Hernando was around six hundred thousand that was in there, and y'all talked about as you said using three hundred, but maybe looking to also use the, the additional three hundred because there will be. You know, you never know. Lotteries may fall out of fashion. You can't say, okay, every year it's going to be 600 or every year it's going to be this amount. But if you know how much it's going to be every year, you can budget to spend every dollar because it, something will come back the next year.
2: That's right. Yeah, something will be coming. And, and you know, there's we know that the citizens want those streets paved. Right. And if we've got the money sitting there, we need to be spending it and doing that. And I think the whole board agreed on that.
0: What is different this time around as mayor for the first 90 days?
2: We know one of the most obvious differences is that we have had a lot of new upper level staff. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I have a brand new city clerk who is wonderful. Pam Pyle's doing a great job and putting her mark on things. And she's someone I can depend on. We have a new city attorney uh, with Stephen Pittman. Uh, We have a great relationship and we're learning things together. You know, laws change over the years. So we started out that way. we're going to be hiring a new parks director who will start in a couple of weeks. Uh, we have a brand new planning director. So there have been a lot of additions and changes. And, and, you know, I have to learn new personalities and new people to manage. And so that's that's a big change for certain. Personally, you know, I'm, I'm four years older than I was last time <laughs> I was here. And, and it changes your perspective sometimes. Um, I feel like I'm not letting things get to me as much as I used to. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I've, if I... have lose a vote, I'm not going to worry about it the next morning. We're just going to get right back to work and keep going. I know that my ideas are not always the best ideas. Uh, We have a great board of aldermen. There's some great ideas that come out of that board. And we're learning to work together. Um, And, and, you know, that's new. I'd I'd been with the other board for a long time and and having a mostly new board, the only one that I'd worked with in the past was Alderman Miller. Mm -hmm. So six new board members to me and we're learning each other and getting to be friends. And I think that's important for the city to to have those relationships because I don't think the city wants to see us sitting up there fighting with each other. I think they want us to do the work of the people and move forward. And I think that's what we're doing.
0: You know, I think everybody who watches the meeting, who pays attention, you know, understands there were a couple of hiccups in July and August. Uh, the board kind of learning how things work, how things maybe should or should not be done, uh, but they've kind of worked through those. I think the last few meetings have been pretty smoothly. Uh, any any issues, any you know disagreements, or any uh, uh, I guess things that had to be dealt with with the city were probably dealt with outside the meetings or in executive session. And I think that it's been a, you know watching the meetings. There's a lot. It hadn't been as contentious as it was the first. First, maybe two or three meetings. And, uh, you know, and again, we don't mind people challenging each other and we don't mind, you know, having uh, ideas go back and forth. But at the same time, you know, you don't want to see, you know, people openly against or openly fighting every time there's a meeting held. So I think that they kind of come along in their first 90 days and and coming together. Yeah. And, you know, we we
2: all were on the campaign trail for months. Mm -hmm. You know, I I spent six months campaigning. And so I, I heard what I thought the people were asking me to do. And all of those board members heard things that they were being asked to do. And when you first get in office, you just want to get them all done immediately. <laughs> and you can get a little frustrated with the, the slow government movement. Right. And, and, you know, and sometimes tempers will flare. But I think overall, we're doing a, a good job at not letting that take over our meetings. And I think we are doing good things for the citizens and moving forward as quickly and effectively as we can within the within the confines of government rules.
0: You mentioned the Parks Director and the plan Director, and that we do have questions associated with that. But before we get to those questions, uh, the last one, uh, I guess that's the the UTW questions. Uh, Matt had mentioned seeing you at the Veterans Day Parade, uh, and he kind of wanted to know, uh, his question was, how did your military service uh, play a role in your current position as mayor?
2: That's an interesting question. Um I feel like, and I've said it before. I think going into the Navy Submarine Service right out of high school changed who I was. You know, I was I was just a long haired kid out of school, and uh, I went in. and By the time I got out six years later, they were letting me be in charge of a half billion dollar submarine mm-hmm. on duty days. So, you know, you grow and you learn, and you learn leadership skills, you know, as you go. Um, I I started out in boot camp not being in charge of anybody, and by the time I got out, I was uh, the leading petty officer for the auxiliary division on our boat. And so you you have to be trained into those things. And I think a lot of that stuck with me. It helped me as I own my business and leading people. And managing people is a different skill for certain. Mm -hmm. And we have 180 of them or so to manage at the city. And I try to use that military chain of command when I do that. You know, obviously, I love all our employees. Uh, I'm friendly with them. I talk to them as I pass them in the hallway or whatever. But I try not to give them direction. I want that direction to go through the seven department heads. Right. Because if I start going around that chain of command that I learned in the military, things will get
0: crossways quickly.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I mean, you, if, you try to, if they try to go, I guess, above the department heads and then come straight to you, then... Obviously, it diminishes what the department heads can do, can say, can try to implement, and uh, so I think that's very wise in doing that. And I also want to say again, thank you for your service. Um, thank you. Coming thank you. off of uh, Veterans Day uh, last Thursday, um, and you know it's almost been a week that since you know can't believe it's been already a week uh, since the parade and since all the I guess the tributes over the weekend. But do want to say thank you again for your service. And I
2: want to thank the, the group that puts together the Veterans Parade. They have um, Carolyn and uh, Mr. Bellflower and the. a whole group of anonymous ones, really, that just work hard to make this happen. It is a great thing for our city. And and this isn't just a city parade. The entire county participates in it. This is the Veterans Day parade for the county. And there's a lot of those people who are aging. Uh, There's some World War II veterans out there who aren't going to be with us much longer. And to be able to honor them and let them feel that coming from the citizens,
0: that thankfulness, I think it's a big deal. Oh, it's a huge deal. And um, I mean, I, I was, I was not able to make the parade, but Matt did make the parade. And, you know, he said it was a wonderful event. I've been obviously in the years in the past and it's just a, you know, something that, um, you know, just something that. Uh, As you said, we're losing World War II veterans, but you still have Korean veterans. You still have Vietnam veterans, I mean, Iraq veterans, and just, uh, you know, from the first and second uh, Iraq wars and just everything going on. And so there's there's still so many in our county that have served, and we want to say thank you to that. And uh, you mentioned Mr. Bellflower. He was actually in the Alderman meeting last night uh, that I watched. Uh, Again, this is Wednesday before Thanksgiving, uh, two Wednesdays before Thanksgiving. And um, in the meeting, he had come, you know, and asked the city to serve, uh, for the veterans' Christmas, uh, uh, I guess lunch coming up in December, and uh, again, uh, just a wonderful committee that's doing everything they can for our veterans in the county.
2: That's right. And actually, uh, my assistant's sending out an email to all the Aldermen to see who can make it, so he can get his schedule together. But we're actually going to be serving, uh, the armor, the um, National Guard at our armory. Right. So the active National Guard members will be there with their kids. It's kind of a Christmas lunch for them, and I. I I feel pretty honored to be able to serve them in some small way like that.
0: Yeah. I mean, again, this is, he said he thought of it that morning. So yesterday morning. <laughs> um, and so he's trying to put it together in less than a month's time, but you know, I have no doubt he'll get it done. And I think everybody will be willing to serve in some form or capacity. Right. So I uh, thank him for that. And, and just again, thank uh, everybody for their service uh, in this County. Um, so kind of, I guess maybe talking about the uh, Alderman meeting last night we had a question our first question that from our our listeners was about um, they had wanted to know kind of what you were looking for in a parts director but as we know from the meeting last night the board approved uh, the hiring of a new parts director so now that we have one tell us a little bit uh, about what you learned from his resume uh, I guess the interview that you obviously had with him and any kind of reference checks that were done just kind of tell us a little bit about what we can maybe can expect uh, from the new parts director coming in
2: I think in one word, it's going to be professionalism. Julie and I, Julie's the head of human resources. Mm-hmm. We um, interviewed four candidates who had great resumes. Oh, wow. So we did that together. Out of those, two rose to the top. Since this is such an important and visible position, I asked three of the board members to come do second interviews with me. Mm-hmm. And so we I think Natalie was there, Bruce, and Chad. Okay. And so they helped me do the second interviews. And after we finished those two second interviews, uh, it was apparent to all four of us that this was the person we were going to go with. Okay. And his name is Jared Barkley. Um, he interviewed very well the first time and the second time. And uh, he actually brought his family up to the Dickens of a Christmas this weekend. Oh, so wow. Some of the other board members got to meet him before we hired him last night. But his uh, experience, um, he... I think he went to a college in the Carolinas and got a degree in Parks and Rec. Mm -hmm. And then he went to Ole Miss and got a master's in Parks and Rec. And somehow, through fate, he was able to get on with the Oxford Parks and Rec Department. Mm -hmm. And that's where he's been for his whole career. And he's worked up through there to probably about the number three level in Oxford. And so he's done a lot of programming, a lot of sports. And uh, I think the thing we were impressed with uh, obviously just his, his sense of professionalism, but while we were interviewing, he handed us a list of things that he thought a parks director should do mm. a three page, you know, list of things he thought he should do. And one of them was creating uh, relationships in the community that seemed to be his top thing. And I think you and I both know how important that is. Yes. Uh, the parks director has to have great relationships in the community. Uh, he'll be coming to the Rotary Club and the Optimist Club and meeting all those people and getting ideas and just becoming part of the community as they find a way to get moved over here. So I, I think we're going to see that. he's appears to be fairly young. Obviously, we can't ask people how old they are when we interview right. them. <laughs> but I, I feel like, um, you know, this board and I all uh, campaigned on Better Parks and Rec. Mm-hmm. And so we, we feel like, and I, I'll say I feel like, you know, from back in 2005 until now, you know, we had no parks department in 05, mm-hmm. and we started that, and I think we got to a certain level, which was a, a, good, a good growth over, you know, those, what was that, 14 years mm-hmm. from nothing to where we are now, and I feel like with a board of aldermen who are all very, very supportive of parks, I think we're ready for the next level. And, uh, the board had asked us to hire a new parks director. And I think this is the director that can get us to that next level. So I I have a a lot of confidence and hope, and I I think the citizens are going to be proud of who we've hired.
0: But a parks director is important because it, it's kind of the you know, "quote unquote" fun aspect of a city, uh, what it can bring, and, and health-wise, what it can bring, recreational-wise, uh, and you know, so people have been asking, you know, to maybe, as you said, make it take it to another level, take it to a different level, uh, and it is good to maybe have somebody outside coming in with fresh ideas, as he's, they said that he enlisted. Now, we're not going to try to speculate on what you know, maybe coming or what we're going to do with ball fields or how we're going to try to raise money to do those things. Uh, but what are something from your perspective that you would maybe like to see him do in the first 90 days? first
2: thing I want to do is get an inventory of what we have. Okay. Uh, and, and by that, I mean a physical inventory of our parks and the conditions of them. Uh, we know a parks assessment was done a f- few years ago during the prior administration. And Prior to that, we had done an overall parks master plan when we were taking possession of Renaissance Park. I want him to take both those books off the shelf and use them. Mm -hmm. You know, cities are real bad about hiring people to do studies, and then it goes on a shelf and we don't do anything with it. So I want to dig into that, see what parts of that are the most pertinent, where we can go. Because those are plans that have been done and approved by the citizens and by the board. Right. We need to move forward with that. But I think it's very important just to get that physical list of deficiencies. You know, there are things that are broken, you know, somebody vandalized Conger Park bathrooms the other day and we've got a broken door frame and that'll cost $400 to put a new door up probably and all those things. We need a list so he can start figuring out the physical aspects of it. And this is probably the right time to do that because we're about to start basketball, but that's the only season we'll have going on. And it's almost on autopilot. We've been doing it so long. So he can focus on getting everything organized, get uh, numbers in front of us of what he thinks need to be done this year, get us ready for the spring baseball season. Uh, But just taking stock of everything is Mm -hmm. is really the biggest priority so we know where we're heading.
0: And to think about that, I guess either November or maybe – June would be the best time to hire somebody with all the sports being wrapped up at least. I mean, you have basketball, but you know, really doesn't kick off till you have the softball, baseball, soccer trifecta hitting about mid February. Um, that and,
2: takes all hands on deck.
0: <laughs> so he's got about three months, which is, as we mentioned, 90 days to try to uh, take that stock and, and go through that. So I guess the holidays would be good for that. And just to kind of settle down and he can attend the basketball games, kind of watch over it. But as you said, it's on autopilot. Um, so I think that's yeah. So a good time for him to come in, and really looking forward to, to hearing from him. Uh, and of course, Matt and I will try to reach out and have him on the show at some point not not next week or the week after, but I'll let him get under his feet a little bit and then. Kind and of I think, have him I on. think
2: he's going to start right around December first. Actually, okay. you know, we're 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 talking on the two Wednesdays before Thanksgiving right, right now. Uh, he today he is giving his two week notice. Gotcha. So, and I told him if they want him to leave earlier, we'll take him tomorrow. (laughs) But we'll, you know, we we certainly always want to um, hire people who give proper notice. You know, that's employees always say, well, how soon do I have to start? You know, I really want to give a notice. And my answer is always, if you're not giving a notice to your former employer we don't want to hire you right we want to hire people who do the right things so.
0: well i mean and you know and he's very smart for wanting that because you don't want to burn any bridges because that's right i mean he could go back 15 20 years from now and maybe run that department if they want not yeah. pay more money or whatever so um anyway that's that's good and we're very uh happy for that i, I think it's a
1: sounds like a great hire by the city i'm uh, looking forward to meeting him and seeing what he implements podcast brought to you by desoto family dental care DeSoto Family Dental Care has been a presence under the water tower with over 60 years of combined dental experience. Dr. Seymour, Dr. Paroli, and Dr. Trotter are committed to providing a gentle and caring approach while focusing on the aesthetic beauty and long-lasting health of your smile. DFDC makes use of modern technology such as digital scanning, intraoral cameras, digital x-rays, and autoclave sterilization. The practice is open Monday through Friday, providing hygiene appointments, general dentistry, implants, implant-supported dentures, and now Invisalign. The office is designed to provide a safe, comfortable, and relaxing atmosphere for their patients. You can be confident that the goal of each staff member is to create a comfortable environment to provide you with relaxing, personalized dental care. Give them a call today at 429-5239, that's 429-5239, or stop by their office to see the DFDC difference. Since 2001, Green
0: King Spray Services has been helping home and business owners enjoy lush, healthy, weed-free outdoor living spaces. They refuse to settle for the status quo, continuously researching and testing the very latest methods, products, and strategies to ensure your lawn looks better than the other guys'. With technicians trained and educated, with hours of continuing education and seminars each year, Green King is committed to doing everything they can to make and keep you satisfied. You can reach them at 662-892-8419, again, 662-892-8419, or visit them on their website at GreenKingSpray.com.
1: Remember, if you want it green, call the king. With the fall season upon us, leaves are everywhere. Leaves are falling out of trees nonstop, consistently, everywhere you look. Now's the time to reach out to Williams Services to help with those leaves in your yard, of your home, or your business. Williams Services is a veteran-owned and operated business with years of experience in lawn care, landscaping, mulching, and more. Owner Richard Williams and his team can assist you with a multitude of outdoor home needs, whether it's leaf removal, tree trimming, fall cleanups, gate repair, fence construction, any project on the outside of your home or business, no job too small, no job too large, Richard can help. Give him a call at 292-8855. That's 662-292-8855. Or find more information about Richard on Facebook at Williams Lawn Services. That's Williams Lawn Services on Facebook. Uh, the next
0: question uh, has to do with another, uh, I guess, another uh, director for the city. This is the planning director. Um, and so the, the question that was posed was uh, had to do with growth and what steps the city would take to grow in the most efficient way possible so we know growth is coming, there's no way to stop it, but also while trying to keep you know, what they said, Hernando, Hernando, or small-town charm, I have you had conversations with the new planning director about this? Have they all started having those conversations? Uh we had some of those
2: conversations while we were interviewing her. Okay. And um her name is Kendra Cobbs. And um I won't get too deep into her personal business, but her and her fam- her husband decided to come back here because his family is from the Memphis area. Okay. So they came back here, and he had a job, and she came without a job. <laughs> uh, she had been working as a planner in Plano, Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a very good reputation as a good city for planning. Uh, we had her recommended to us by three different Sources, So we interviewed her for sure, you know, and she came in right at the tail end of our interviewing. And we quickly, I I had three aldermen in that meeting as well. And we all decided very quickly she was the one to fit the bill for us. And so they're here and um, she is learning what happens in Hernando, of course. Uh, BJ Page, as you know, has been here as a consulting planner. And he's going to stay on staff until we feel like we're caught up. Because with no planner and no building official, right, we've literally had a department of one person for a long time. So you can imagine how backed up we are. Uh, we don't want to do that to our builders and to our homeowners who are trying to remodel a house. We need to get caught up. We need to get all those plans through as quickly as possible. Now we have two planners to do that. So we're going to keep BJ. We had money budgeted for him. We're going to keep him as long as Kendra needs him. Okay. So that's going to help us get caught up. Um in the talks about moving forward and keeping Hernando the way we want Hernando to be, we have talked about it. And uh, first thing I told her is I wanted her to use as much common sense as possible Mm -hmm. instead of bureaucracy. And I think everybody understands that's where we're heading. And then I think your deeper question there was, you know, what do we do to keep our property values in Hernando and keep a place that feels like we want to call it home? And a lot of that is design, a big piece of its design. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I've said this a hundred times, but, you know, people say, well, man, that Walmart looks pretty good. But I don't think they know why it looks good. It looks good because it doesn't have yellow stripes in the parking lot. It looks mm-hmm. good because every 10 parking spaces, it's broken up with planted islands. Mm-hmm. So you don't just have a sea of asphalt. If you notice, when you look at our Walmart, you don't see any roof-mounted equipment. The parapet is tall enough to cover that. It's quick brick is the outside thing instead of split-faced block. So all of those things together make it look that way. Mm -hmm. And we apply those design standards throughout the town. We want it to look really nice. And every day, every day, somebody's coming in trying to get a variance on our design standards. (laughs) And uh, the planning commission has given quite a few lately, but it's a slippery slope. Right. And we have to be tough on design standards. We just have to. That's what keeps our property values high. Mm-hmm. People come to Hernando and say, this place just looks better. I'm willing to pay an extra $10 a square foot over somewhere else in the county. And, and it's valuable to all of us. So we have to remember that every day somebody's buddy is coming in asking for a variance. And we can't play the buddy game. Right. We have to just do those design standards and make the properties look the way the citizens want them because it makes the whole community feel different. It just does. Now, we do have to use common sense. Um, For instance, the Trustmark Bank the other day got a variance because they wanted some metal in the exterior. Well, our uh, prohibition against metal is because we don't want metal buildings. Right. Corrugated metal buildings but this is a modern design on that trust mark and it probably made sense and it may be that since that was a variance given that did make sense it might be that we need to tweak our design standards to allow those kind of architectural details but so that was a variance that made sense but there are some others that feel like we're going down a slippery slope when we start people start saying well I don't want to put in a sidewalk well if we allow them not to put in a sidewalk then we almost have to let the next person not put one in and Suddenly, we don't have sidewalks in Hernando and new developments. So, we're going to be strict on the design standards. Mm-hmm. On our building codes, uh, we have to make sure people are safe. But there are lots of things within the building codes that people will never see. And as long as we're building a safe building, we need to use a lot of common sense there. Mm-hmm. You know, if you um, take that whole 2012 building code and enact it, nobody could ever build a building. You know, everything would be $500 a square foot to build. Yeah. So you've got to use some discernment when you're doing the building code. And and as you know, and I want the listeners to know, we are still actively looking for a building inspector. We do not have one. Uh, Kristen is doing her best out there every day to get these inspections done. But she needs to be back on her zoning duties. Mm-hmm. So we're actively looking, if you know someone who you think would be a good building inspector, they don't have to have the certifications, just someone with kind of a knowledge of building, Uh, we can get them through the classes and get them certified. We just need a good common sense person to do that for us. But I think moving forward, we just have to keep uh, being strict on design, but reasonable, and um, make sure we're not doing things just because that's what the book says. We need to step back every time and look at each thing individually and say, what makes sense for this project? What can we do to move it forward as quickly as possible and yet keep the feel of Fernando?
0: Having larger commercial projects is not a bad thing. It helps us to afford other things as long as you said they're built right, they're designed right. Uh, they're zoned right, uh, put where, you know, in, in the proper zonings or with the parts of the city, you know, like maybe busy corners and stuff like that that we know are going to be commercial and then other things can be, um, you know, looked at. And I think the Planning commission's done a good job. I think there's only been a couple times where the board has overturned something the Planning Commission recommended uh, that I remember in the last, you know, year or two. Um, but so I think they're doing a good job, and I think the Aldermen are doing a good job, you know, enforcing what they approve, you know, right. not always – I mean, there may be a little variance here or there. I think in the meeting last night, the planning commission had wanted to see one thing, but on a five-lot subdivision, but there was a couple of things the Alderman said, well, you know, we can live with that. And so, right. but I don't think it was a slippery slope issue. It was just more it kind of made sense, the common sense as you were talking about. And I do want to remind everyone that when a property is zoned,
2: it is at that point totally out of the board of aldermen's hands and out of my hands as to what gets built there. So if it's zoned C2 and has been for years, the gas station that wants to build there does not come before the board, right By rights, they can build a gas station there. So what we do administratively is put them through the design and review process, make sure they build one that meets all of our standards, but we could never tell them they're not allowed to build there, right or the taxpayers will get sued. Uh, So when I've seen a lot of discussion about, well, we wouldn't want a Starbucks there or we wouldn't (laughs) want a Chick-fil-A there because of traffic. And those are valid things, but we can't tell those people not to build in a zone where they are legally permitted to build. So obviously we don't recruit Mexican restaurants to Hernando. We don't recruit (laughs) banks to Hernando. But if there is a place zoned properly, they pull a building permit and move forward. And that's just the way it goes. So we need to be very careful in our zoning, right, you know, and make sure that if we do get asked to rezone something, that we look at all the uses in that zone and say, "Am I okay with all of those?" Because once once it's rezoned, any of those things can be built with just a permit,
0: right? And and to scratch something from the zone, you would have to have a whole ordeal on having to change what is allowable in a zoning, which is a whole other meeting and a whole other you know, issue and and trying to, you know, redo, you know, zoning maps and that sort of thing. That's a a whole ordeal that you cannot go through every time you're trying to approve a business
2: coming (laughs) in. I will. And and on the planning, I had two other things that we are um, working on. Um, One of them got approved last night. Uh, Actually, I think um, Alderwoman Lynch had brought it up because in Montclair, they have cluster mailboxes. Mm And this is something we hadn't thought of along the way. Um, Now it appears that the Postal Service is not letting people put mailboxes at their driveway anymore. You have to have this big cluster of them at the entrance to the subdivision so the postman can just work quickly and get the mail in the mailboxes. And so out at Montclair, she was looking at it and said, this just doesn't look good. It's a bunch of metal mailboxes stuck on a piece of, of concrete, and it just doesn't feel like Hernando. So uh, the planning department put together a proposal for cluster mailboxes and how they should be presented and applied in these subdivisions. Planning commission passed it, and then the board passed it last night. So they'll generally have a cover over them now, mm-hmm. a nice-looking structure with maybe brick posts and a you know a metal roof. But it's not just going to look like some gray mailboxes stuck out on a slab. Yeah, I mean, and so those are you know those are small things, but when they or add it up, they make a neighborhood feel totally different.
0: Yeah, well, look, and we don't, you know, when a developer goes in there and says, "I oh, have to have, you know, mailboxes, there's no code. They're going to do it cheap as possible. Sure. Too, because sure. that's money that's coming out of their pocket. They're not going to be recoup for that. Uh, but I, I do, I mean, I, I Watching the meeting last night, I do love the fact that we now have rules with uh, the architectural structure where they can be located in the subdivision. I remember that was being said. Uh, And then there will be design review as part of the subdivision approval uh, on the mailboxes too. That's right. uh, Which I think is a a great thing because I understand the post office is trying to do so everybody that loves their mailbox out front or everybody that says – you know, I'm tired of kids knocking them off the post. You don't have to worry about that anymore if you if you buying a new subdivision because there will be these these That's cluster mailboxes.
2: Right. And there's another major thing we're looking into. You know, there's lots of people um, who are trying to move a family member into their backyard. And Interesting. those are called accessory dwelling units. And they're not allowed in Hernando. Hmm. Our zoning and design does not allow those. And let's just think about how that works is you're you're ready to move your mother or mother-in-law into your backyard. Right. You know, you need to build a building with a kitchen and build a building with a bathroom. Those are not allowed in Hernando zoning. And I think the point was way back that they were worried about people renting those in their neighborhood. Right. And, you know, I live in an old neighborhood and I've seen some of those that have been around for a long time. And what we're starting to realize is those are the best rentals to have. Because you're not going to allow a bad renter to live in your backyard. <laughs> right. You're just not. It, right. You know, you keep an eye on them, and if they don't act right, they're out. So those are really an asset to the community. You know, and, and you'll move your mother-in-law in there. That's, they call mother-in-law wings. That's why I keep referring to it that way. But you know, and then later on, as situations change, you may rent it to a nurse or to a college student and and those things are needed in the community as well so we're looking into allowing accessory dwelling units and how we would manage those and so there's a lot of research going on in that arena right now because there's actually some people out there uh, there's a way to skirt that law you can build an addition to your house if it's connected by a breezeway
0: like a third car garage or with an apartment yeah. or something like and that. And so
2: we have lots of buildings attached to houses by breezeways, which look ridiculous sometimes, but it's just a way of getting around it. So we don't want people to have to get around things. We want to make it you know, more user-friendly. So that research is going on, and we'll probably see some sort of an ordinance coming forth in the next few months about accessory dwelling units. They call them ADUs, accessory dwelling units.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of uh, other parts of the country, especially in the northeast and that sort of thing, they they have basements and people will run out their basements. So they'll live on their first door, the first two stories and the basement where we run out to somebody completely different. Uh, And so this, you know, but in around this area, we don't have basements. I mean, typically there's no basements. And so uh, everybody's a monolithic slab. And, you know, so this is a way to potentially get, you know, either have a relative or potential income where it's, you know, um, since you can't go underneath you, um, you can do it out in the back, be able to have something for a relative that could turn into a rental unit. But as you said, People that are running out their basements are going to vet people, you know, very strictly. And I would imagine the same thing would be, you know, if you had one in your backyard, right? And of course,
2: if you're in a homeowners association that doesn't allow accessory That's dwelling right. units, they still wouldn't be allowed there. But there are places in town where they're probably appropriate.
0: So just again, a lot that the, the board is forward thinking, looking at things, looking at mailboxes, uh, looking at ADUs, and you know, so it's all part of the, the fall under the planning director. So really looking forward to what she, you know, once she gets, as you said, still learning the process, still working with BJ, but then once she kind of goes out on her own her vision is for the city. Uh, the next question, uh, we had a, a listener um, that reported a discussion of having, you know, the, the board was having a discussion of looking into speed bumps uh, look, or some type of traffic, you know, trying to slow traffic down. I, I don't know if the word speed bump was actually used uh, in the meeting, but uh, that's what it was kind of implied. Um, and so he wanted to know, you know, what has changed? I know in the past, your position has been pretty much, you know, speed bumps, but not in favor of speed bumps. So what has changed in your position or the city's position uh, on the use of speed bumps and their effectiveness in reducing speed.
2: So I still haven't found much data anywhere that says speed bumps reduce speed. Obviously they reduce speed right there at the speed bump, but then people take off again. Um, I'm still not a huge fan of them, but I'm working with a committee on the board to see where we can go with it. Because what I did find out, you know, when I first got elected, but before I took office, I met individually with each alderman. Mm And just said, you know, what are your things you want to do? And a big majority of them really wanted to install speed bumps. Well, if that's the way the board wants to go, then I'm going to be part of that. You know, I'm not going to be throwing up roadblocks. I do want to make sure that our liabilities are limited and we do things in a manner so that we're not hurting people. I know motorcycle riders uh, worry a lot about them. They can throw you off a motorcycle pretty easily. So there's, there's those things to think about, but it seems like the board as a whole wants to move forward with traffic calming devices of some sort. Uh, alderman Miller handed me a lot of research last night uh, oh, that okay. we're going to put out in, in our first committee meeting. Uh, so we're going to be scheduling a committee meeting of the aldermen that are on that committee in early December and start working towards that goal.
0: And, and the alderman, I know it's Alderman Miller and uh, Ben Piper. Was that the other one? Yes. Okay. So
2: And I think there's a third, but I can't remember. I'll have to look back in the minutes. But, yeah, we'll be looking into those things. And, and you know, we put in a um, raised crosswalk on Della yes. about six years ago. Yes. Uh, and, and that one was interesting. We could make that one uh, work because a sidewalk stopped on one side of the street. So we made a raised crosswalk to attach it to the other side of the street. And, of course, you have signs ahead of it so people know there. You know there's a speed bump there. If you don't have signage – and someone hits it, you can be liable for that, you know. And and the interesting thing is, you've also got to try to size them properly, where you can drive over them at the speed limit without right. damaging your car, which is a trick. So, but I think we'll figure it out. You know, we'll, we've got a lot of smart people working on the issue, and they'll get it figured out, and we'll get something in front of the board to vote on before long. Uh, what I am seeing is other cities that have them have a long, exhaustive process of vetting them and seeing if they're needed. Mm-hmm. Because uh, my my personal reservation on it in the past has been that if we put one, every neighborhood, <laughs> every street in the city is going to want them. First of all, we can't afford it. right? And second of all is I don't think we want a city with speed bumps every 100 yards. It just doesn't feel right. Something doesn't feel good about that. So uh, we just need to get a process in place to put them where they're actually needed and where um, the majority of the citizens in that area want them. But I think working with Alderman Miller and Alderman Piper and some of the other board members, will get that done.
0: Yeah, I, think, I mean, I think it makes sense to do it where based on traffic count, based on, you know, the average speeds over the speed limit in That's an right. area would probably be part of the process that you're looking at to determine, you know, what areas could, you know, could benefit you know, from having speed bumps or, or whatever. I know there's – you can have the, the thin metal strips. You can have the asphalt, the old-school asphalt speed bumps. You can have the, as you said, the crosswalk connectors that are they're larger humps. Uh, I know there's all – and I think there's some that are actually more like a larger rectangle that you can it looks like you can remove off of the asphalt and put back on, you know, if you're having to pave and that sort of thing. So I've seen – there's several different kinds and, and, you know, what the best one to go with. But I do think – I know I live in a neighborhood that could benefit because – uh, it's a very large connector cut through. i um, mm-hmm. going from Bahia to Mount Pleasant. Going to high school. Uh, through Lake Grove, and that back street is basically a drag strip uh, for students coming to and from school. Uh, so that was – I've been talking with Bruce, my alderman, about that. And um, But that's been – that was before Bruce. It was Gary. and I mean, just because yeah. it's, it's, uh, it, it's been an issue. Now, my kids are grown. I don't have to worry about them walking in the street anymore. Uh, but there are other families that are moving in that have young children. And, and so it's just – And Alderman
2: Miller that. showed us some pictures of some that we've seen around before that literally you, you purchased them intact – and you just bolt them to the street. Mm-hmm. And then if we find out later they're not working or not wanted, we can just easily remove them.
0: And, and put them somewhere else. With right. A, yeah. yeah. So that, that,
2: that'll that probably be the way we head to start with, you know, and because we certainly don't want to spend $5,000 putting <laughs> in a big fancy speed hump and then realize, oh, we didn't really need that one here. Right,
0: right. now that's good. Um, so, yeah, that, that was the question. And then he followed up that question with, Stop signs. Now, I, I will leave. He had some information. I will leave with you uh, that you can look into the different intersections or potential intersections he would like to see a stop sign. But just in general, if somebody had uh, an area or a street, two streets that were you know kind of I guess intersecting that don't have stop signs, what is a way an individual or a maybe even a homeowner association can petition the city? to look at possibly putting stop signs in an area?
2: So they can just contact me directly. Okay. And then what I do is I have the city engineer and the police chief look and see if there's a need. Okay. And and I think one of the misnomers uh, people think about stop signs is, well, that's a good way to slow down traffic. Well, if you read the Uniform Traffic Control Manual, it specifically says do not use stop signs to slow down traffic. (laughs) Because what happens, and I know this sounds trite, but people pull up to a stop sign. There's no other car there. Because there's a low traffic count. You know, stop signs are where there's an intersection with high traffic counts that make it hard for someone to get out and make their turn without a stop sign. Well, if you pull up and there's nobody else there, you're going to slowly, over time, start just running that stop sign. That's right. You know, people just run them and disregard them, and it carries over to other stop signs. So we're not supposed to use stop signs to try to slow down traffic. It's just supposed to be where it's hard to get out at an intersection. Gotcha. So we have the police chief and the engineer vet those. And, and you know, I, I there are a few around town that probably shouldn't be there. I pull up to stop signs all the time and think, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> you know, the side street coming out only has six houses on it. Yeah. So you know there's never any traffic there. Right. But yet we've got a stop sign there. And, it, it you know, it just – We just don't – it's another government regulation stuck out there that wasn't needed in my mind. But we will have the engineer and the police chief look at any that come in, though, and get an answer back to the citizens.
0: Okay. So good to know. So, yeah, if you have, a a, think, an area that may need some type of stop sign or or speed
1: uh, hindrance, uh, please contact the mayor directly, and he will uh, look into that for you. Today's interview brought to you by Lauderdale Insurance Agency, your local state farm provider. They are located at 11 West Commerce Street, directly across from the Hernando Post Office. Lauderdale Insurance is owned and operated by Sam Lauderdale, former alderman and longtime local resident of Hernando. His team specializes in insurance for life, home, business, and auto. Mr. Sam encourages you to compare coverage, service, and price, but feels confident Lauderdale Insurance Agency should be your insurance provider. Please call Sam, Sherry, Angie, or Jennifer at 429-5213. Again, that's 429-5213. Or find more information about Lauderdale Insurance on Facebook at Lauderdale Insurance Agency on Facebook. The secret is out. North Point Christian is DeSoto County's most
0: popular private school destination. 211 new students made the switch and became part of the North Point family this year, pushing their enrollment to record levels. North Point will be hosting their next open house Tuesday, December 7th at 6 p.m. They encourage prospective families to come and see why families in three states, 28 cities, and 41 zip codes have made North Point DeSoto County's largest and most desirable Christ-centered college preparatory school. Interested families should reserve their spot today by contacting Director of Admissions Ms. Sheila Sharon at 662-349-5127, Again, 662-349-5127. They invite you to get ready to make the switch and join the North Point family. Sticking on the last question, kind of dealing with you know, stop sign speed bumps, slowing down traffic. Uh, what is an update, or can you give us an update on the uh, stoplights that we know have been approved? Uh, now, this is mainly through the state, of course, because these are both on Highway 51. Uh, the ones that would be coming in in the future at Green Tea in 51 and Oak Grove in 51. Uh, we do know that there's funding there, that it's in the process. Do you have a, like an update or maybe a potential timeline as to when one or both of those would be you know, being installed?
2: So I'm going to back up to one you haven't talked about. There's one that is absolutely part of the uh, warehouse yes. uh, agreement. A
0: Capit Drive.
2: Yeah. So there will be a traffic signal put there almost immediately. Uh, we have also contracted for the road going into the warehouse. And we're just waiting on the, the guy should be showing up. The company should be showing up any day to build that road. So that traffic signal will definitely be coming. The one at Green Tea in 51 is one that the Highway Commissioner is looking into and trying to find funding to get it done. That wasn't really part of the project. Okay. So that one's one that he's working on. Um, Then as we move south to Oak Grove in 51, so Senator McClendon in the bond issue that the state does every year got us a quarter million dollars. Mm -hmm. I think it was being dropped into the city bank account this week. Oh, wow. Uh, We have 36 months to spend that quarter million. He thinks that in the next session, we'll get three quarter million. Okay. And so we're going to start spending this money quickly. Um, There's an engineering company that's already talked to MDOT. This is kind of weird because we're going to be spending the money on an MDOT project. (laughs) So we just got a proposal from an engineering company that's already talked to MDOT. And MDOT said, yeah, y'all would be the good ones to do it. And they just sent a proposal yesterday about engineering and doing the traffic studies and all the things MDOT requires. So I'm hoping to put that in front of our Board of Aldermen at the next board meeting to get approved so we can literally start the traffic counting and all the things that have to happen on a state highway to say that, yes, we can build one here. Um, The state is wanting a roundabout there. Interesting. So they're going to see if the traffic counts and all that warrant that. So that's the direction they're heading. Um, I think it's going to be an expensive intersection because there's a hill just to the south of it that oh, that's a, yeah. probably have to be cut down. There's going to be some right away to acquire. Uh, but there's
0: not only a hill coming up from oak grove back to 51 but that's a pretty bad hill you're coming down if you're going north on 51 going down 51 so you're coming over a hill and as soon as you get over the hill you're almost at the intersection at a probably pretty decent speed that's right so you wouldn't want a stop sign
2: or a stoplight there with that hill still there because if people are stopped and people top the hill you're going to have a rear end situation pretty often but all that's going to be worked out in the engineering so that's the first step and mdot projects don't happen very quickly, (laughs) but I'm going to try to make this one happen as quickly as we can. So I'm going to hope the board will hire the engineers to get started on that project. And then the next three quarter million uh, would probably start going towards uh, buying right away. Mm -hmm. And then hopefully Senator McClendon can work his magic and get the rest of the funds in the following year.
0: Well, if I, so, but I guess the, you know, if you say the lucky part is the South, East corner is owned by the city. That's Conquer Park. That's that right. So you already own one of the three corners or the right-of-ways to one of the three corners uh, would already be with the city. Um, so it would be requiring the other three plus, you know, how, how much you have to widen it. What do you have to grade down or grade up uh, as part of all that? Yeah, and there's, quite
2: a, there's quite a bit of drop-off yeah. on the edges there. So there's going to be a lot of construction fill and things. It's not going to be a cheap intersection for sure.
0: No, but it is a dangerous intersection as it is. That's right. And um, you've
2: got a school right down the road. So the you've got lots of school traffic there. And we, we actually had a police officer directing traffic there that got hit by a car years ago. Wow. So well, even, even yeah. with someone that visible out at an intersection, it's still unsafe.
0: Well, that and then, again, going back to the park director, you know, whether it's improving the current parks, whether it's building something new at Renaissance Park, that's just going to bring more people either south on 51 or having to go on Oak Grove to get to Robinson Gin to go to those ball fields. So any kind of improvements, you know, three, five years from now could also have more people going to those you know, right. potential ball fields in that area too. You're exactly right. All right, well, good. So uh, just an update. So that's kind of hitting the trifecta of speed bumps, stop signs, and stop lights um, for the city that looking to, to put them in. Uh, the next one goes away from that. Uh, this is something you mentioned as part of the, the first 90 days you being in office, something that people hit you with all the time. Uh, and it's the update on the animal shelter. Uh, this listener just wrote in, basically, they know that uh, you're pro-animal shelter. They know that, uh, you know, the, the dirt work that's been out there, done out there under the previous administration, but it kind of has come to a standstill. Uh, that the money was approved uh, in this year's budget to get it done. So they're wanting to know what is the next step, uh, how close is it to actually breaking ground on the building, and, and where is the city looking to go right now from here? Well, I think the last time I talked to you, I had either just walked out there or was about to
2: go walk out there with Doug Thornton, who is the architect with AERC, who has donated all of his time to design the shelter, and I want to give him a shout out. They have spent—I mean, it's probably a hundred thousand dollars worth of work they've done. Wow! Because it's been redesigned two or three times. There's a lot to it, and we really appreciate him being part of the community and helping with this. So that. That's money we didn't have to spend with him that we can actually spend on the shelter. Uh, But at that time, a few months ago, a couple months ago, he and I walked out to the actual site, Mm -hmm. and we measured it. And there's about 60 by 60 that's buildable. So the last plan we saw was bigger than that. So I tried to get to the bottom of that and figure out what was going on. So it appears that the original plan was four small little pods, and that site was designed for that and that came in too expensive and they went another way and then that came in too expensive. So he has redesigned it. He has sketched another one and we have met twice as a committee with the board of aldermen members and with the head of the animal shelter and with Doug. Mm-hmm. So we had two committee meetings. Uh, we decided we needed to do something different after the first meeting. So he came back with a sketch and then he and Susan, the head of our animal shelter, We're meeting with a veterinarian who was really good at designing them to get some more tweaks. And he should be coming back to us soon with the results of that meeting. And we'll have another one. The idea is that now he's going to show us one final thing. We're going to say, yes, head that direction. Then he'll really draw it. Right. You know, do the The engineering drawings and all that. What we are hoping for and shooting for, and we don't have much time, there's only two more meetings, is to approved to put it out to bids in the last meeting in December.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. That's what we're shooting for. That's
2: how we left our last committee meeting. So if we could do that, you know, we could be approving the bids in March.
0: So 90 days.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's got to, you know, it's got to be bid and then open them and then get it back in front of a board. But We could get it done as soon as that. So that's what we're pushing for. So
0: opening the bids in March, so construction probably starting 30 to 60 days after that. Yeah. So, So,
2: you know, there is a very real chance that we could have a finished and occupied animal shelter by the end of 22. Okay. So six to eight months to build after the approval and the the construction And, of course, you know, there's a shortage of all kinds of materials and all that. But we are pushing, and I know there – some of the board members have have had people come up to them and I've had people come to me and say, Well, where's this animal shelter you said you were gonna build? <laughs> I'm like, Man, we've only been here three months and we had a lot of fires to put out, you know. But I, I do want the citizens to know it's not only me, we are all pushing as fast as we can to get this animal shelter built. We you know, we we still have a full shelter where we are, mm-hmm. plus about twenty or thirty of our animals in foster care. Right. You know, and, and that's not the way it needs to be done. Uh, the foster parents and volunteers are wonderful, but some of them have three and four animals at their house, mm-hmm. and, and they don't need to be put in that situation. Right. So, you know, we're, we're getting some um, – the, the, fir- the redesign our committee asked Doug to do actually added more places to house animals. Oh, okay. So, great. you know, yeah. it, we took away a few of the frills, and it's just more places we can keep animals so we can keep them inside in a good, safe environment. And does he
0: feel pretty good about it coming within budget that was said or approved?
2: Yes, It'll be probably be pretty close, <laughs> but yeah, it's yeah we we feel like that's what we're designing something that'll fit that budget. About
0: that budget again. Hopefully that will. until the next three months, when we ask the next update. That's right. Um,
2: hopefully we'll say we're waiting on the bids to come in at the next update. That will be great.
0: Um, I think everybody will be you know loved all the, the ones that are in favor of the animal shelter would be loved to hear that. The last couple of questions uh, that I've kind of. Uh, well, they're on two sides of the town. Uh, the first one, uh, the, the one that was written was, it says, you know, with more growth now taking place, so kind of going back to the growth question, uh, seems to be taking place right now on the east side of the city. Now, not actually in the city limits, uh, but you have the um, short fork, uh, you have uh, what Dale Wilson's doing off of Bright Road. Uh, then you have a, a subdivision just north of that uh, kind of going up uh, at the, after that Jaybird turn, kind of going uh, around on Bahalia, uh before you get to the Getwell stop sign. So you have basically three pretty significant developments going in that Bright, Getwell, and um, Jaybird area. Uh, we know that well they're outside of the city. Um, more than likely, they're in the city's annexation path. Plus, they will be using the water and the sewer uh, from the city of Hernando. So they were asking how do you feel about the capacity issues with water and the sewer infrastructure in that area servicing neighborhoods outside of the city currently? Uh, along with and we know that Madison Lakes and you know other subdivision will become an inside of the city in that area. Kind of. So what what are your thoughts on the capacities for both the water and the sewer for those areas?
2: So we know that the Jaybird plants at 92 percent capacity. That was talked about during the last administration. The engineer Joe Frank Lauderdale has put a plan together of how to solve that. And part of that plan is to connect the Lauder Road plant. To it, And it gives us a little more capacity there because the water plant's not anywhere near capacity. It's just not being used much. Right. So there is an approved plan by the state health department, which has to happen. And what we are doing right now is waiting to see if the state legislature is going to match our ARPA funds. If they're going to match those funds, this will be the first project we do. It's shovel ready. Uh, even if they don't match it, we'll spend ARPA funds on it.
0: But we certainly want to try to get the hundred percent match, and that's what the lieutenant governor wants to do. I mean, he he one of his uh, I guess uh, what he would like to see with some of that money that came into the state is to actually match fund what the cities want to do. with That's that project. right, and so. he wants
2: to limit it to water and sewer infrastructure, which right. is fine with us because we could in the city of Hernando we could spend twenty million dollars on water and sewer infrastructure and not waste a penny. <laughs> so if we can turn our four million we're being given by the federal government into eight million, we're doing a a good job managing our funds. So that's why that hasn't been upgraded yet. It is shovel ready. We're just hoping to get it done at half the cost. So that, or, you know, only spend or double our money. Right. Right. So that's what we're waiting on, on that. And I know Mr. Utley who is doing that project North of Dale Wilson's over there. Um, he came and said, Hey, you know, I know we're low, but, and can we, can we start building some houses? And Joe Lauderdale said, yeah, he can get his first phase in there. There's enough capacity right now. But, you know, if we were going to move forward with Madison Lakes, uh, we will need a whole other water plant for that. Mm. So we started having some discussions. Um, when you build a water plant, and it wouldn't be just for that. They, right. You know, a water plant is going to serve thousands of homes. And it would probably not even be on that property. It might be somewhere more centrally located, over towards Getwell. I think we all know that you know Getwell is one of the the only road that's not a state highway that runs all the way through the county north to south. Right. It's getting um, some widening done up north of Pleasant Hill by the county. Uh, they're talking to us about how we can widen it down to 69, and and even further to the south there, because you know it's an interstate exit. That's where big things are going to happen. Yeah,
0: and and we know that uh, there was already uh, preliminary discussions about a pretty large development going right there by Helya and 69 and well. That's right. Um, Yeah,
2: there's lots of interest for certain. And the people that own that property out there, now that the exits are both open, they see an opportunity. Mm -hmm. You know, when people don't buy land just to sit on it their whole lives, they see it (laughs) as an investment, and, and now's the time to cash in on their investment. So there's going to be lots of things coming. And I think that was our plan all along, was there are not a lot of houses out by those exits. Mm-hmm. There are things that we want as citizens. We want restaurants. We want retail. And those things give us sales tax dollars back to do the other things we want. So let's put those out there where they're not really going to negatively affect people's home values or anything, and yet we can still use them. Mm-hmm. So you know, you're know you going to see a lot of large development out by those intersections in the near future. And we are going to have to add a whole nother water plant uh, in my view, that can be funded through TAP fees. Mm-hmm. We could borrow a large amount of money to build it through a re- what they, they call it a revenue bond. Mm-hmm. And then we say we're going to pay it back from the revenues with all these TAP fees coming in as they build new houses. And it's probably time for us to raise our TAP fees. You know, When the builders are coming to build a house, they, they pay a TAP fee to hook onto sewer and pay a TAP fee to hook onto water. Well, these fees need to be high enough that they can fund these water plants that are needed. Uh, You and I as existing citizens don't need to see our rates raised to pay for future development. Right. It needs to pay for itself. And so that's why we'll probably be looking deeply into that as a way to help fund the new water tower that we'll need at some point in the near future.
0: On the sewer side of it, uh, obviously that's Decrua. And so it's more just, you know, uh, Hernando agreeing to service or, you know, having that part of Decrua or to service that part of the Decrua line uh, in their vicinity or in their annexation path. So do you see any issues with the sewer portion of that uh, for those developments?
2: I really don't. Uh, Basically, when people are looking out there for sewer, we tell them where the closest line is and say, you're responsible for getting over there. Okay. So we shouldn't be incurring much cost there. Where we do need to spend some money and some of these ARPA funds are on the people in the Nesbitt area that were annexed years ago and still don't have city sewer. Mm -hmm. We need to be working on plans to get some of that solved. It's it's way past time. And I think a lot of the board members understand that that needs to be a priority. And especially if we get ready to, like you say, annex some of those houses right on the fringe that we're already providing services to. Uh, I think we need to show good faith to the judge that's going to be looking at it that we're actually trying to serve the ones we annexed years ago. Right.
0: So I I think that's a piece of that. The west side of town actually had the original large subdivision or original large uh, plan to have a subdivision or actually almost like a second little town uh, just off of the Hernando Square, and that's Hernando West. So we had one listener uh, who wants to know, is Hernando West outside of the houses that have been built in the historic section? uh, Is Hernando West – any closer to getting started? So during the last
2: administration, they voted to do a special assessment and for the city to put in the sewer to the portion that they're ready to develop first. And then that would be paid for through a special tax assessment on Hernando West. So it got put out for bids and came back in three or $400,000 higher than the mm. developer thought. So Joe Lauderdale, the engineer went and asked that contractor that bid that high, why? And it appears that one of the biggest expenses
0: was
2: crossing the big ditch. Yeah, And it was crossing at an angle. Well, if you
0: cross at an angle, it takes more pipe. And, and uh, just to remind the listeners, this is coming from the lift station at the soccer field. That's right. Uh, up the road, basically. And there's a huge ditch. If you're familiar with the soccer field, there's a huge ditch that you have to cross over right before you enter the, the soccer field entrance. That's right. So
2: he's reengineering that to make it a 90 degree crossing, which should cut cost. So pretty soon you're going to see uh, us rebid it, put it back out for bids and then see what the developer wants to do because basically I think the number was 750,000 we were going to borrow and anything over that the developer was going to pay. Right. Up front. Uh, yeah, yeah, so you know that we'll, we'll just have to see where the bids come in and what the developers willing to do. I think there's been a lot of people uh, ready to buy homes in Hernando West for a long time, <laughs> and you know it's a, it was a great planned development, or will be a great planned development, and I think it'll be an asset for our citizens uh, who who want to live in a community like that. the The interesting thing you said it was going to be the size of another town. Uh, there was a point where we looked at it, and if totally built out, mm-hmm. the population. That neighborhood was going to be larger than thirty percent of the cities in Mississippi. Right. I mean, it, it Just was that one neighborhood will be a town.
0: Yeah, yeah. I and mean, it was like because two uh, thousand ish. It was like two thousand twenty five hundred houses of some of some sort, yeah. along with commercial aspects and and little parks. You know, it was a nicely planned put uh when i remember it's been years since i saw the plans because it keeps getting put off keeps getting put off but yeah it was uh i mean if you take 2, 2,000 and multiply it by two and a half which the average size is a family kind of give you what, what size numbers we're talking about yeah and and you know we we know that
2: uh, we all moved here for a reason mm-hmm. because we love hernando and there are other people that see what a good job we're doing and want to be part of our community mm-hmm. uh, and that's For good or bad, that's just what happens. When you build a great town and have great amenities, people want to be part of it. So there will be growth coming unless we just shut down everything, and we can't do that. We know we can't do that. We need to be uh, neighborly, but we do need to keep up our standards and make sure that the things we're doing are the, are, you know, we all moved here for a reason, right? and we would like to see that perpetuated and, and, and keep the town the same level and, the same, and to the same standards as it was, that the same things that attracted
0: us here. Well, think going back to that question, uh, have the zoning, have the design standards in place, stick to them, you know, have very little variances so you can kind of make sure everything is conforming uh, the way that you want it to going forward. Right. And I'm sitting here looking out your back window at
2: these beautiful four houses Dale <laughs> Wilson put up. And, you know, that's the kind of design we like in Hernando. We want things that just look traditional and, and feel solid and,
0: and will sell for a high per square foot price. Right. No, I, I completely agree and again uh being a homeowner in Hernando I'm I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> Um, well, that, those are all the listener questions that we had. Uh, we do appreciate the time, and this has been a really good interview, uh, a, a good long interview. Uh, do if want at the end, want to give you a couple of, uh, you know, allow you to have a couple of things that you want to say. First, is there anything that you want to tell that we haven't talked about? Any other message, any other uh, communication you want to get out to the listeners, to the citizens uh, that's going on in Hernando right now?
2: Well, there's a couple of events coming up. It's, it's Christmas time. Uh, The Cookies with Santa is always a wonderful thing that we do at the Gale Center. Uh, It's going to be on, I believe, Cookies with Santa is on December 12th. Sunday. It's on a Sunday, and it's from 2 to 5. So you bring the kids down there. Santa Claus will be there for pictures. There's activities for the kids. The Gale Center, gets they're already decorating it. There are trees everywhere. So it's like a winter wonderland for kids, and and the kids really enjoy it. So come out for that uh, from 2 to 5 on the 12th. Uh, obviously the Christmas parade is December 6th. So you'll see all of us out there in the parade that is, uh, put on by the Hernando chamber of commerce. Mm-hmm. So if you want to have a float in the parade or just be in the parade in any form, uh, call the chamber of commerce. I think it's four, two, nine, nine, oh, five, five, and they can set you up. Um, the one thing I always want to leave everybody with is if you need anything or need a question answered, or just want to voice an opinion, call my office. Just call me and talk to me. Uh, I want to hear every point of view. Actually, call my cell number, 901-371-7743. Uh, people are starting to use my number more and more. And the more I hear from you, the better decisions that I can make. And the things that need to come to the board, we can bring them to the board. We want to be proactive. And I can't do that without hearing from the citizens. Right. Right.
0: Well, no, we really appreciate. I mean, there's not a lot of mayors that don't give out their, you know, personal cell phone number on a podcast uh, to be able to get it out there. But we do appreciate just you being able to be that accessible. And obviously, you can't answer maybe every phone call as soon as it rings, uh, but you'll absolutely get back to them. I mean, from personal experience, you've always gotten back to me when I've had a call or had a question. And so we do really do appreciate that. Uh, do you also? I mean, I will give you a a, a plug, but hopefully, you want to plug it too. You also do things on. Was it Thursday or Friday? You put out on your Facebook page. Uh, uh, kind of telling about upcoming events going on over the weekend. Do you want to speak to that just for a moment?
2: Yeah, I, I have started um, at, at Christie's urging. Um, she, she helps keep me on track and engaged the way I need to be about every week and a half or two weeks. I'm just doing a short video. Uh, we call it What's Happening in Hernando, and it's just the fun stuff. You know, there are so many events that people don't know are happening. Uh, I know when the Optimist cl- or when the Rotary Club had the, um, beer fundraiser, Mm -hmm. I was there and so many people said, Hey, I'm here because I heard you mention it. I didn't know about it until you said it. So, uh, we've got a few followers that watch that. And so if you know anything uh, that you need to tell me about that you want me to put out to the general citizenry, uh, just call me or text me and we'll try to include it. But it's really just a fun thing just to let people know what leisure activities are available and fundraisers of that sort, just things like that to get out and do. And Hernando, I want people to, to be able to see those things.
0: Again, I appreciate another service that you're offering and just really appreciate that. So, yeah, if you're a nonprofit or having any kind of events, please, you know, let the UTW podcast know. We like to get it on our shout outs. And also let the mayor know he can put it on his Facebook page uh, and, the, and the shout outs that he does or the uh, the upcoming events and what's happening uh, in Hernando. So again, thank you so much. We do want to thank you for coming on here. I mean, this is well, over an hour now uh, of just you know time that I think this will be a great benefit for the listeners uh, to hear, uh, for the citizens to know kind of what's going on. And again, citizens, we want to ask you, You know, we're going to have him on again sometime in February. Go ahead and start sending your questions now. If we can get them answered if something pressing, maybe we can make a phone call or maybe you can make a phone call and get it answered now. If not, we'll be happy to cover it uh, in the next quarterly session that we do with the mayor. So mayor, uh, thank you again for giving your time on this Wednesday morning to come in here over an hour's worth of time. We want to say thank you so much uh, and also want to wish you and your family a happy Thanksgiving.
2: And I want to wish you and all the citizens a happy Thanksgiving and a Merry Christmas if we don't talk again before then. And I really appreciate under the water tower and the service you're providing to the citizens. It's it's very valuable.
0: Well, thank you for saying that
2: And,
1: and again, just for giving of your time. Wow, Derek, stop signs speed bumps a deep dive into the animal shelter discussion about the new parks director the new planning director just a long quality interview there for the mayor Chip Johnson we really really appreciate it on our Thanksgiving week show for sitting down with us and talking to us all about the, uh, the you know things he talked about his first 90 days mm-hmm. the experience of that so we really really appreciate you uh, sitting down with us, uh, Mayor Johnson and we look forward to talking to you again in the new year as uh, we seem to be sitting down about quarterly with the uh, mayor so we really really appreciate that look if you enjoyed that interview there's plenty more to come on the UTW Podcast. Coming up next week, we're going to start talking a little bit about basketball, talking more about young people when it comes to basketball with the three schools that we cover. If this is your first time listening, we cover the North Point Christian Trojans, the Lewisburg Patriots, and the Hernando Tigers, the Under the Water Tower team right here. And we look forward to talking more about them next week. If you enjoy our show, find us on Facebook at UTW Podcast, on Instagram at UTW Podcast, and on Twitter at UTW Pod. Wherever you can hear our voice, please give us a five-star review. Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, wherever you're listening to our show, give us a five-star review so we can continue to, to move up when it comes to local podcasts. If you enjoy our show, look for OB Pod. Really simple, stands for Isle Branch. They cover the eastern side of DeSoto County. Also cover Center Hill, Lewisburg, and and Olive Branch. Go into a little bit more deep dive there for those three schools. OB Pod. Look them up. Well, Derek, I hope you have a safe, wonderful travel to uh, Natchez uh, as I travel to Louisiana myself. Uh, we want to wish all the UTW Podcasts, we want to encourage everyone to have a wonderful, grateful Thanksgiving holiday. We really, really appreciate uh, the things that y'all do for us and the support that y'all give us here at the UTW Podcast. Uh, we are Derek, I'm extremely grateful for you and working with you on this and definitely, I think it's, it's shown me a lot. I have a lot of people that talk to me about the wonderful things that, uh, you know, they may not have talked to me about when it comes to the city of Fernando. So I'm very, very grateful to live in our, our wonderful city, and I'm grateful to be a part of it.
0: Now, I'm thankful for you, for the show, for our city, uh, and just for this community and the support that they've shown us. Uh, and also just the, uh, I mean, having the ability to do this. I mean, just something that, you know, you and I started. And it's just a, it's a hobby for us, but we really enjoy it. And, you know, just, again, having the ability to talk to our you know, a few hundred closest friends uh, <laughs> twice a week. Um, whether they you know, Wait, 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 wait. I think it's a few thousand. It's it's a few thousand? It's a few, uh, it's a few uh, thousand.
1: Yeah, if you'd like to advertise to those <laughs> few thousand, please reach out to us. Uh-huh. Under the water at towerinfo at gmail.com. Reach out. But again, just a, a great,
0: and I want to wish everybody a happy and safe Thanksgiving. And, you know, may the Lord bless y'all uh, throughout this week. Not only this week, but throughout the whole year. And so, again, y'all be careful coming back, because we do want y'all listening to us as we put out our next show next Tuesday. And, uh, Matt, you know, I hope you have a safe trip home. going ahead and toward Franklin.
1: Look forward to that. If there's nothing else, I'm Matt. And I'm Derek. Join us next time,
0: Under the Water Tower.